0: You know, Rob, I was uh, fortunate enough uh, of last week to watch the new Emma Stone movie, Cruella. Now, they had announced this movie a while ago, and I was intrigued by it, and then we started seeing our first kind of images from it and some some very vague synopsis stuff written about it, and I thought, uh, I mean, it sounds all right. I mean, it's got Emma Stone. I mean, and right. if it's got Emma Stone, who we always, me especially, constantly... Um, underestimate it doesn't matter if when she wins Oscars it doesn't matter when she turns and killer performances I find myself constantly underestimating Emma Stone and then always watching her newest movie whatever that is and then going man I forgot how good she was at some point I'm going to stop forgetting how good she is but to be honest I wasn't exactly stoked to see Cruella like I don't think the trailers were great I mean, they were good. I mean, they were fine. They were good trailers. I didn't think they were great. I wasn't totally stoked to see it. So anyway, then I watched it last week, and I forgot that the review embargo for it lifted today, so that's why this isn't off the top. But I'll tell you what. This is a solid little movie, and it's, it's a very different movie than I was expecting. You know, when I think about these, you know, either animated or cartoon, whatever things brought to life, and it's unfair for me to do this, my mind instantly goes to, like, Garfield. And, you know, a tripe like that. But I don't know really what I was expecting from Cruella, except that it's much, it's darker than I thought it would be. It's, it's, there are times in this movie where there's very, where it's very cute and very charming and you're smiling. And there's some dark elements to it as well, which I wasn't kind of expecting. It's also more dramatic than I thought it was going to be. Like there's more of a drama tilt, Uh, in this film than I honestly really thought they were going to have in something like this. And once again, Emma stone, Rob, I'm telling you, this girl has not ceased. I remember when I first really realized not only she kind of cool in these kinds of movies, I remember the first time I realized, Oh my gosh, she's going to be something really special was in that one, that comedy she did with Ryan Gosling and Steve Carell, crazy, stupid love. You remember that one? Yeah. She was so good in Crazy Stupid Love. That was the first time that I, like, really noticed it. And, of course, she's just gotten better and better. She's got an Oscar on her mantle, and she'll have more in the future. Man, she kills it. She really does. She kills it in this movie. Now, I'm not going to say that she's going to win an Oscar for this, but I will say this. If the Academy Awards were held tomorrow... I don't see how she's not one of the nominees. I mean, she's just absolutely great. She carries this movie. She sells this movie. The supporting cast is all wonderful, including, uh, what's his name, Paul Hauser. He's really great at it. The whole supporting cast is great. Obviously, they have some dogs in it. Half the time, the dogs are CGI. I knew that going into the movie, Rob, that like half the time, the dogs are CGI, but it didn't bother me at all. Like, when they go CGI the dogs, it it never felt out of place. Like, a lot of times, suddenly, characters being replaced with CGI suddenly feels and does. So, basically, the idea of Cruella is that it starts with her as a very young girl, and she goes through a bit of a tragedy. She loses her mother. She grows up on the streets, gets an opportunity, discovers some secrets, and then, you know, the kind of thing evolves. And I really love it. And, Rob, one of the things that they do in it is that I think her real name is Stella, the little girl. But her mother realizes at a very young age, Stella's a sweet girl, but she's also got a real mean side. And her mother names that mean side Cruella. And for the longest time, Stella learns to tuck Cruella away. This is all introduced in the first five minutes of the movie. I'm not giving away any big spoilers here. And then that clearly comes into play later on down the line. It's like I said, it's got actual, real heavy dramatic stuff to it. Emma Stone is phenomenal in it. The dogs are adorable in it. It's got a real little bit of a whodunit thing to it. By the way, Mark Strong is in this movie too, and I didn't even realize that. Mark Strong's great in it as well. <laughs> it's got it's a it's part heist film, which I wasn't expecting. You know I'm a sucker for heist film. So it's part heist film. Um, all this kind of stuff look is this gonna be movie of the year no by the time we get to the Rob by the time we get to the end of 2020 and we do our you know kind of top 10 films of the year is Corella probably going to be on my top 10 films of the year list no probably not but it's much more solid than I was expecting it's got more layers to it than I thought that a film like this would have Emma Stone carries the whole damn thing I gotta tell you I I enjoyed it. And right now, and I honestly didn't know how other critics would feel about it. But as of right now, it's got a pretty respectable 75% with about almost 80 reviews in there. So, I mean, yeah, top 10 film of the year? No. Solid little movie that I think more people than I originally thought are going to enjoy. Yes. Rob, I know you've been following the Cruella thing for a while. I, you haven't had a chance to see it yet, but where's your expectations been? Where's your anticipation level been for a movie like this? You know, I have to tell you,
1: I, I it I had no expectations for this movie until I started seeing the trailers. And for whatever reason, it was very different than I thought it was going to be. Because obviously, Cruella de Vil is a fairly campy character, and we've seen the Glenn Close iteration of of the character, and I'm like it's fine but this movie made my middle-aged ass quite excited. And I love <laughs> I I love Emma Stone. I think that she's a really she's a terrific performer both dramatically and uh her comedy chops are are phenomenal and uh things like an Easy A. I, I love Emma Stone and to see this character, I'm just I'm really excited to see it. There's nothing about this movie that doesn't look good to me.
0: Yeah, and like I said, uh, again, movie of the year, no. Things we're going to be talking about 10 years from now, no. But uh, again, I thought this was going to be a pretty forgettable little film, and it's not. It's actually really got its charm, and I enjoyed it. Anyway, guys, question is for you. Where are your expectations like right now for Cruella? Maybe you were like me, and you didn't have a lot going in. Maybe you've been very excited about it. I don't know. Wherever you are, jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's now move into our main topics here today. And how do we select our main topics here on The John Campion Show? it's really simple. You guys program the show. See, whenever you come across a big topic issue or story that you feel we should have as a main topic here on The John Campion Show, just go on over anytime 24-7 to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see that submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, Rob, what is our first topic today?
1: Well, our first topic today comes to us from. Uh, uh, I just actually just pressed the wrong button. <laughs> Hold, please, <laughs> and let me. Uh, let me. Uh, it comes technical from technical glitch. I I literally was uh, clicking down on it, and it disappeared, John. But our first topic comes to us from Donald Green. And again, I'm still pulling it up. I can't believe I just did this live on TV. I apologize, John. So our first topic that comes to us from Donald Green. And Donald says, huge fan of the show. I just read an article that came from Deadline Hollywood stating that The Flash season eight We'll begin with a five-episode event crossover, which will feature other CW-verse heroes. What do you think about this? And do you still keep up to date with the Arrowverse? Well, John, my, my first thought is season eight? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so so uh, uh, this comes, from, comes to us from Screen Rant. Penowitz revealed per Entertainment Weekly that the in-development season eight of The Flash will see the titular hero meet with several heroes crossed over from other Arrowverse series in the first five episodes. Though no specific actors have been revealed, Black Black Lightning star Cress Williams confirmed The Flash producers have reached out to him twice to see if he's interested in making a season eight appearance, adding that they're still just in the talks phase. Well, John, I have to tell you, uh, look as somebody who's always loved the flash and the flash multiverse I mean when I was a kid, the flash had of course the cosmic treadmill uh, and he would that's where he met like Jay Garrick and our flash. you had the earth 2 flash and his his whole history and now they've shown us images of impulse of the character of impulse and I like this idea. I liked black lightning. Uh, You know, anytime we're going to get these crossovers, I think if they're not going to do a CW multiverse wide crossover like the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover or the Earth X crossover, doing something like this, I'm all in. I'm uh, I'm down with this. I think it's going to be pretty cool depending on who they're going to pull in. And I think once they they get the ball rolling on these crossovers, I think people like to sort of participate. And I guess this is going to be the final season of The Flash. And if you're going to go out with a bang, why not start with a great five episode multiverse crossover that brings in all of these beloved characters? I just hope I just hope that everybody has something to do. Mm. I don't like the crossover events where somebody's like in one scene and oh, they're like, well, like, yeah, the Welling came back. You know, yeah, I mean, I, if they're going to bring these characters back, have all of them uh, play an integral part of the story.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah, not like the Crisis on Infinite Earths one, where it's like, "Hi, everybody, remember me?" Well, gotta go, and then it, like, yeah, well, yeah, that, like,
1: I, I mean, I'm the devil,
0: and uh, have a nice day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, remember me? I was Superman in Smallville. Well, thanks for coming. See you later. And, I and mean, like, it, uh, it, give me a reason,
1: and and incorporate that. I mean, I understand it's really hard to put these things together. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, I mean, you've got agents and managers and lawyers and all those things, but still, if you're going to do it, and I think, look, The Flash, I don't know about you, I I always drop in and revisit The Flash, and it just seems a bit tired, and I would love to see them go out on a high note if this is indeed the last season, and this could be very, very cool.
0: I, I am. I don't know how to feel, to be honest with you, because I have been, ever since they started doing it, in CW with the annual crossover event, starting first just with like Arrow and Flash, and then they started to expand that as the Arrowverse started to expand. I look forward to them every year. I wasn't a big fan of the Crisis one, but I liked all the other ones that they've done. And I like Flash. Yeah, it's starting to feel a little bit tired. I feel like they're in their closing phase. And of course, we now know that next season, season eight, they're not even going to have Cisco anymore. Cisco's leaving the show. I know, um, man. The guy who plays Wells is leaving the show. Um, so he's gone. They don't... What this also tells me, Rob, is that they don't feel like the CW-verse or the Arrowverse has enough going on to justify their regular annual crossover event that spans all the different shows. It feels like they just don't have the gas tank to do that right now. Um and it feels like, look, am I going to tune in and watch these first five episodes? Of course I am. Absolutely I will. But is my anticipation level going to be the same as it used to be when they used to get this crossover story that would go into all of the different shows and blah, blah, yeah. blah? No, especially now that we know Cisco's gone, Wells is leaving. It's We can only do Flash going, oh, my goodness, that guy is faster than me. Yeah, yeah, I know, Barry. We. You run into one of these guys every single freaking season. We get it. Uh, It's just, it feels like it's winding down and this feels like it might be a last hurrah. So will I watch it? Absolutely. Am I excited about it? I'd be lying if I said I was. I'm not right now. But anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this news? That Flash next season is going to start off with a bang of five episodes that are including crossover characters coming into the Flash episodes. Good idea, bad idea, excited, not so excited. What do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by... Anish Satya, who writes, Hey, John and crew. As I was surfing through YouTube for trailers, I bumped into a trailer with a screenshot of Karen Gillian for Gunpowder Milkshake. Turns out it's not just her. It has an amazing lineup. Oh, my God. Cersei is playing Nebula's mom. If you checked it out, what did you think? And thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, listen, Gunpowder Milkshake is one that hasn't really been high on my list because it is a direct to Netflix movie and nine times out of the 10, those turn out to be shite. I mean, one time out of 10, we'll get something like an old guard or an Irishman or something really great like that. But nine times out of 10, it's total garbage. So it was, and then I read kind of the synopsis earlier. It's like, okay, so it just seems like another one of these kind of pull it out of your ass. Uh, John wick clones, because it feels like today, Rob, there are a lot of those. Yeah, it feels yeah. like today there are a lot of these um, clone shows of uh, of John Wick and stuff like that. So I go over and I tune in to this uh, you know gunpowder milkshake trailer <laughs> and wow it's fun it's it's now whether or not they're going to have a great narrative and good character development and great inter character dynamics and make you care about our leads and, I won't know until we see the movie but as far as just giving us a little bit of a taste yes as to what this is I watch this and first of all having Lena Headey as Karen's mom I'm like <laughs> bang Yes, sir. I'm in there. And then obviously seeing Michelle Yeoh in there. I've got a soft spot for anything Michelle Yeoh, even Star Trek Discovery, Rob. But anyway, I got a soft spot for anything with Michelle Yeoh. So this just looked like a a bonkers kind of good time. Let's see if Netflix can incorporate those things that make it not just a great fun movie, but a great movie overall. I have my doubts because it is Netflix, but listen, I'll tell you, I thought this trailer was gangbusters, Rob. I really liked it. You had a chance to check it out. What did you think about it? Well, first
1: of all, I, I want to point out that the director of this movie, uh, Navot, uh, Papa uh, directed an Israeli thriller called big bad wolves that I actually own on Blu-ray. And that was the last feature he made back in 2013. And I loved that, that I thought it was great. And he only worked on, I think, like a short for the ABCs of death as a director since then. So to see him coming back after almost a decade to direct this, clearly uh, the film is obviously well directed. You can tell from the trailer. But I think this movie's going to be something special. So I'm really excited and actually getting a taste of it, getting a glimpse of it. I mean, yeah, at first you're like, okay, remember in the wake of Pulp Fiction, every new filmmaker wanted to make a Tarantino ripoff two days in the valley, five heads in a duffel bag, whatever the hell you were going to do. But nothing was as good as Pulp Fiction. I think this might prove to be surprising to everyone. I think this movie looks great. I hope it's great. My fingers are crossed because, man, I love Karen Gillan and I love this cast. Come on. Who doesn't love this Cast, but uh, I hope it's going to be great. I really do.
0: She has, she is turning into a great little success story, Karen. Uh, Karen because a, a lot of people were introduced to her in Doctor Who. I was not because I don't watch Doctor Who. And then, of course, she comes along as Nebula, and Nebula has developed very well throughout the MCU. And then, where I really started to appreciate her was when she appeared in Jumanji. I thought her right. and Dwayne Johnson had. terrific Terrific chemistry, her and Jack Black and her and, and Kevin Hart. They all had great chemistry, so I really liked her in that. Of course, there's talks about them developing a Pirates of the Caribbean spinoff surrounding Karen. That's big, too. Now we've got her actually tangibly as the lead in a big streaming service movie, Netflix. It's going to be interesting to see, and she's got just an incredible, iconic surrounding cast in this that she gets to lead she's in a movie with michelle yo with lena haiti with paul giamatti she's yeah, in a dude. movie with with this caliber of performers and she's the one carrying it she's the lead so it's really neat seeing this story unfold anyway guys questions for you did you have a chance to see the uh, Gunpowder Milkshake trailer? If so, what did you think? Did it just look dumb to you? I kind of get it if it does. Did it look like fun to you? Whatever you guys thought, jump down into the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right. With that down, let's move into main topic number three. Rob, what is our third main topic today?
1: Well, I'm all, I'm all squared away now, so I can tell you, John, it comes from... <laughs> Marty McFly guy. Hey, John and Rob, I know you guys didn't like Fast 9, but there was a review embargo, so you didn't give us much detail. Now that the embargo was up, I was hoping you guys could share your thoughts. I got to see it this weekend since our theaters are open, and it opened here before the U.S., and I absolutely hated it. I thought it was kind of a betrayal of the rest of the franchise. How do you guys see it? Well, John, before I make any comments, and I, I know you'd probably say this too, maybe minor spoilers here, if we're going to talk, if you're asking us, Marty McFly guy. Uh, I have to agree with you. I have been obviously one of the great proponents of this franchise. I've taken a lot of guff for it from people. People like, Rob, you're always talking about verisimilitude, and why do you love this franchise so much? Well, I've I love this franchise. I think ultimately the whole idea of, The family, Uh, to me, I've always thought of it as the multi-ethnic Star Trek, just like, well, Star Trek was (laughs) multi-ethnic. And I liked, when I first saw this film, the first Fast and the Furious franchise, living in L.A., I love the fact that it had all of these different ethnic subcultures, like there's the Asian people, there's the Latino people, there's the white people. Like Paul Walker, the cops were the white people. And I loved that it was all a celebration, you know, street racing. Everybody comes together and uh, everybody's equal except when it comes to your cars, you know, and I like that. And then there was something about the action. I know it was a point break ripoff and all that, but I really enjoyed the fact that it was about cars, you know, and vehicles driving fast on city streets. And we all know what that's like. And there was something exhilarating about it. And I always enjoyed that. And to me, by, by the time you get to Fast Five, which is my favorite of that franchise, it gets a little outlandish, but six, seven, and eight have been on a forward trajectory to leave reality behind. And we talked about it before. Uh, but Fast 9 has, there's no connection to any re- reality at all. There's no physics, even traveling around the world. It just cuts to places. Apparently, uh, now the Fast family has access to military transports whenever they need them. Uh, their their equipment and cars are dropped off, whether it's in the jungles of of <laughs> South America, I guess, or whether it's in... European countries, they just zip around the planet faster than uh, Daenerys Targaryen moved around in season eight on her dragons or season seven in Game of Thrones, man. And I'm just, I'm watching this movie. I felt like I had whiplash. I didn't believe a minute of it. And when you go past this, I like the, there was a flashback framing device I actually liked a lot. And then after that, it left all reality behind. And even for this franchise, I don't know why they've embraced this idea of total unreality? I mean, it's like in popular culture they've decided that this franchise has become, and also the movies have become so ridiculous. Like in Fast Eight, The Fate of the Furious, you're outrunning a torpedo on the ice that was fired by a nuclear submarine. I'm like, really, really? <laughs> but this this is goes even further than that. We've seen a lot of it. If all you've seen is the trailer, the scene where where uh, 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 Dom drives into part of a wrecked rope bridge and somehow it attaches to the car and he's able to have the enough thrust that the he's flung onto the other side of this chasm rather than falling into the sea. It's just, that's the whole movie. And when nothing, when there's no stakes, when you know that nobody can get hurt, when physics themselves are abandoned and everyone used to joke about Uh, Some of the characters maybe making it to a certain, maybe call it extraterrestrial locale. Uh, When that actually happens in the most ridiculous way possible. And again, we have an indication in that in the trailer. I'm like, I can't, anything I liked about this franchise, even my beloved son Kang coming back as Han, I have to say, man, I can't, it lost me. I sat in the theater and I was, After the first 10 minutes, I was out, and I sat there, and it was an unpleasant movie-going experience for me. How about you, John? What did you think of this film?
0: Man, you and I got to see this movie together. and and I was so
1: excited you took me.
0: And do you know, since you were with me as we went out with Anne and a couple of her friends who went all had dinner together first, you know, I was like, we're going to see know, Fast Nine. Too. We're going to see Fast Nine. I I was very excited. You know me. You know some people say to me, John. You know, uh, Fast and the Furious isn't meant to be taken too seriously. It's just meant to be fun. Remember, you're talking to a guy that loves Fast and the Furious four through eight. I mean, I I really I liked Fast. 8 and I liked fast 4 but 5, 6 and 7 I loved completely so you're talking to somebody who understands hell remember I, I'm the one who coined the phrase it ain't science class it's fast and the furious right so you are talking to a guy who gets it yep. I get it I, I really do some people may think I don't but I really do I get what they're going for the fantastical within the mundane I understand that but make no mistake this is a terrible movie it's awful it's it's just absolutely awful cuz rob when you do ridiculous things that at least have some kind of tether to reality like some yeah. type of of lifeline to reality that ridiculous let's take the the in in F5 the one driving through the streets dragging the uh, the safe behind them okay that didn't exactly follow all the rules of physics.
1: No. They couldn't have done that in real life, but you buy it in the context of the movie.
0: Because they make sure they have tethers to real. They make sure they have things happening around them that are realistic, and so yeah. the bombastic nonsense stuff is just fun, right? And that's what makes it enjoyable. When you detach all of those tethers to anything resembling reality... The bombastic stuff doesn't feel fun. It feels stupid. Yep. When there's nothing there to at least give you the pretense to pretend and fantasize like maybe this could happen when really we like in that one Fast and Furious movie where they jump the car from one building to another. Okay. But I mean, obviously it wouldn't really happen, but you could maybe there's other things happening that are very realistic. So maybe whatever. This whole thing, this whole entire movie is so detached from any reality that it becomes a labor to get through the movie. And Rob, I remember when the credits started to roll on this, I turned to you and our buddy Cliff came with us as well. I turned to you and Cliff and I said, because we didn't talk to each other throughout the movie. I had no idea what you were thinking about the movie. I had no idea what Cliff was thinking about the movie. And I turned to you as the credits were rolling and I said, Look, is it just me or was that absolutely horrible? And you guys were going, No, it ain't just you. I mean, it's look, and and look, one of my criticisms of Fast and the Furious, even though even through the ones that I really enjoy, one of my criticisms of Fast and the Furious, and I say this as a huge Vin Diesel fan, you guys know I'm all about Vin Diesel. I love Vin Diesel. But my one little criticism about all the Fast and Furious movies is that Vin Diesel, being the producer of these things as well, he makes Dom an absolutely invincible character. Like a guy who just grew up as a, as a kid who worked on cars. He's like the world's ultimate super spy. You can throw 10 Russian tanks at him and he'll win the fight. Because family, right? <laughs> and there's a part in this movie that you see glimpses of this scene in the trailer where literally... He is fighting 20 guys at once, and he wins. And do you know how he wins? I'll tell you how he wins. He, channeling his, you know, uh, Samson and Delilah strength, going back to some biblical analogies here, literally grabs these giant chains and pulls the roof down and pulls the the building down with his own mighty Dom arms and just pulls the roof down, and that's how he wins the fight. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then, oh, God, we won't even, like, they show a peek of it in the trailer of them getting ready to take off in into space, and that whole thing was just eye-rolling and garbage. No, and I, go ahead, Rob. Well, uh,
1: that aspect of it, To me, it became that was when it completely I mean, I already was not we knew from the opening action scene in the jungle. I'm like, really? There's one character who particularly should have died in many hails of gunfire and does not. I mean, when you're watching it, you're like, I can't I couldn't watch it. That's what made it really. But by the time they actually do this thing where where certain people or certain objects might go into orbit, uh, it was so ridiculously absurd. I'm like, I get it. This movie is a parody. You know, it's, and and it was so, look, it was all the action sequences were amazing, but because there was no stakes, because you never felt anything mattered, uh, they weren't fun anymore. It was just like watching some kid play on his brand new drum set that couldn't know, didn't know how to play the drums. And I just felt it was noise and I didn't enjoy it.
0: Yeah. No. It again. And before anybody throws at me, I already see people warming up in the chat saying, "Well, yeah, but John is just... Supposed to, I, I get. I, you're talking to a big, big fan of Fast and the 6, four, five, six, seven, and even to a degree eight. I get it. I do. But as somebody who gets it, it's just terrible. Like it's. I even Rob. I put out a tweet for a minute last night saying I'm struggling to decide what is the worst movie I've seen this year so far, Thunder Force or Fa- or Fast 9. Now, I pulled it down because I realized, no, nah, no, nah, Thunder Force is, is worse. Thunder Force is worse. So I took that tweet down. But that's how bad this movie is. It's truly, truly awful. And... Listen, all film is subjective. Just because Rob and I don't like this piece of garbage doesn't mean you won't appreciate Because remember, all movies, they deliver a unique experience that we as individuals have. That means there's going to be movies that I love that you hate, and there's going to be movies that you love and that I hate. And that's great. That's the fun thing about being movie fans. So I'm sure, as a movie, there's going to be a lot of people that, that enjoy it. But I'm just telling you, as a fan... Of Fast Four, Five, Six, Seven, and Eight, who loves that they kind of embrace the ridiculous, the the ridiculousness. A guy who has given the quote, "It ain't science class, it's Fast and the Furious." Even I am saying, when you become so detached, it just becomes a Fred Flintstone cartoon, Rob. That's really that's what Fast Nine is. It's a Flintstones yeah. cartoon. Yeah, it with, really with, is. You know, with. With, you know, a giant boulder falling on Fred's head and him just having a little bump on the top. I mean, the whole movie is that. It's just, ugh. You
1: you know what else, John? I I would ask you this, and and, uh, a friend of mine was talking about this, and, you know, a lot of filmmakers, we do play a lot of video games. We like video games. And I felt that this movie was one long video game cutscene because when you're playing video games, it's all about gameplay, and you're never really tethered to necessarily reality. And one of my favorite video game franchises was the burnout franchise where you, you race cars and there was one section in it where you see, how, if you were in a car accident, you could direct your car that was in an accident while it was exploding or on fire to roll down a street and destroy as many other cars as it could possibly destroy. And I love that franchise. I felt that's what I was watching. I felt I was seeing video game cutscenes, or I was watching Burnout as I was playing it. And I'm just wondering: is has video game culture permeated filmmaking now, where people are so used to playing video games and not worrying about the reality or the physics necessarily that they've allowed it to seep into their filmmaking? And are we doomed to get more of this as we move along?
0: Yeah, I, I, and I look. When it comes to Fast and Furious, though, there has been this progression ever since Fast 4. There has been this slope because I really – I recognize that in Fast 4 is the first time we started to see the Fast and Furious franchise start to embrace its identity that we are a bit ridiculous, right? They tried to be kind of serious in Fast 1, 2, and 3, but it's in 4 that you see them kind of turning that corner, saying, we're going to embrace a little bit of the ridiculousness. And then in 5, they pushed it a little bit. In 6, they pushed it a little bit. In 7, they pushed it a little bit more. and 8, a little bit more. And then we ultimately ended up at 9. And look, I see some people saying, well, you know, John, uh, Fast and Furious isn't supposed to, like I said, it ain't science class. It ain't supposed to be Shakespeare. But, you know, nobody goes to Fast and Furious just to see a good movie. They just want to have fun. Well, can't you say the same thing about Thunder Force? Thunder Force was never meant to be a Oscar-winning movie. It was never meant to be Shakespeare. Does that excuse it for being absolutely unwatchably terrible? Uh, No. But again, I say that from my perspective, right? That is the unfortunate experience that I had. You may have a different experience, and if you do, that is awesome. I love it when people love the movies they go to see, even if they're movies I don't like. But again, I'm just telling you, as somebody – uh, as two guys who have been super stoked for Fast 9, as as somebody who has been a big fan of this franchise for the last, not all of it, but at least for the last 10 years, I I just walked out extreme. To me, this franchise is dead now. I'll look forward to Hobbs and Shaw too, but... I mean, to me, pretty much the franchise is dead, but I expect in Hobbs and Shaw 2, they're going to feel like they need to push it even more. And they were right on the borderline with Cyborg Idris Elba. They were right on that borderline about pushing it as far as you can go with that. But I still enjoyed it. But now I feel they're going to push it even further too. And it's like, I, Yeah, to me, the Fast and the Furious franchise is dead to me. But uh, I don't know. Rob, any final thoughts before we move on to our main topic today? Well, look, I still,
1: I still, despite all that, I still like the franchise, you know. And I will be there with bated breath when the inevitable Fast and the Furious. They say they're going to do a trilogy, so we're going to get Fast Ten and Fast Eleven. I, I guess the final. I have no movie. doubt. I'm still, I'm still there for it, John. I have not. It is not dead to me. This franchise is not dead to me. Well, I should
0: say it hasn't ruined my appreciation for the other movies. I still love the other movies. It's just that. Uh, I, I don't, I, I, I think when Fast 10 now eventually comes out, I don't think I'm going to be able to get excited for it. I don't think I'm going to have that excitement that I had going in for Fast 9. Because I've been so, it's been over a year that I've been looking forward to watching this movie. And it's just, I don't know, it just, to me, completely crapped the bed. But that's just us. There are other critics who are liking it. Um, I mean, Hollywood Reporter Variety, they hated it. But I think IndieWire and uh, I think Deadline might have liked it as well. So it's going to be your mileage may vary. Ultimately, all film is subjective. You are not going to have the exact same experience that I had. You are going to have your own experience. Maybe that means you're going to hate it even more than we did. Maybe that means you're going to like it. Maybe it means you're going to love it. Whenever you see it, let me know your thoughts. But anyway, guys, that'll do it for our review of Fast 9. Uh, I, I, I couldn't have been more disappointed. Anyway, guys, jump down into the comments section below and leave us your thoughts. All right, guys. With that now down, let's move on and move to main topic and our main topic today, number four. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by uh, uh, Mercer Create, who writes, Mercier Creates writes, Hey, John. Great show as usual. Thank you, man. Looks like it's a done deal, aside from the long government approval process. As the news started getting around this morning that Amazon has bought MGM for close to $9 billion. I believe the final number was like $8.45 billion or something like that. Uh, The news started getting around this morning that Amazon has bought MGM for close to $9 billion. Thoughts on this deal. And how all these huge new purchases have basically changed the entertainment industry as we know it. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. Appreciate that. And yes, Rob, we talked about it a little while ago that there were rumblings going around. We've known for a long time that MGM was putting itself up for sale. We've known that. And then a little while ago, we talked about there were rumblings going around that Amazon could be a main player. Amazon could be the main one kicking the tires on MGM and measuring up if it was something they wanted to do. And Rob, you and I said at the time, we both thought that would be a good fit. We thought when you look at the library that MGM has, I think it's like several thousand movies, 17,000 episodes of television, all this kind of stuff, great stuff for library. Plus they own a lot of creative IP that gives them opportunities to create new originals. And now it is indeed... done deal this comes to us uh, from the folks at at Variety who writes for Amazon snapping up MGM which has more than 4,000 movies there we go and 17,000 TV shows in its catalog is a way to supercharge its prime video service with a slew of well-known entertainment titles in addition Amazon is anticipating being able to mine Metro-Golden-Mare, that's MGM, properties like the Pink Panther, Rocky, and yes, the 007 franchise for brand new originals. So Rob, this really becomes a double win for Amazon. For, because number one, we always talk about this, Rob, the key to the future of the streaming wars is exclusive content. They just bought up a whole bunch of high-profile, not just movies, but a lot of high-profile television as well that is now, at some point in the near future, going to become exclusive to Amazon Prime Video. So that, by itself, almost makes the deal worth it for them. But on top of that, they also are going to be able to have access to a lot of IPs that they can create originals with. Where I get excited about something like that is that Amazon has shown that they actually believe, while they do definitely make movies direct for Amazon Prime Video, they also believe in the theatrical window. They believe that a movie out in theaters makes that movie later coming on their streaming service more successful on the streaming service. As a matter of fact, this comes to us from the folks over at The Hollywood Reporter uh, who write the following. Still, the announcement left many key questions unanswered regarding the future of how MGM movies will be released once Amazon officially owns the stor- the storied studio. Unlike Netflix, Amazon Studios has been supportive of theaters, including giving many of its original movies an exclusive release in cinemas before they launch on Prime. And Rob, you and I have talked about that before, and the key to that is because Amazon, their head of content, has said, we just believe, like, for instance, they said, I remember when they talked about The Big Sick, that fantastic Kumail Nanjiani movie. Love that movie. But they said, if we had just dropped The Big Sick on Amazon Video, nobody would have known about it. Right. But we put it in theaters. It got Big promo, it got big word of mouth, and then we brought it over to Amazon Prime Video after the theatrical window, and it's been a great performer for us on Amazon. They believe in that model. And so now you're looking, they now own the rights to the Pink Panther. They have creative, they can make new Rocky content and the Rocky universe content. Hundreds of other IPs, including Rob. I mean, the Broccolis are also co owners of the thing, but they go into detail in the Hollywood Reporter report that says that, you know, they now are all part owners of the Bond thing, although the Broccolis have absolute direct say in the marketing and the movie and the casting and all that kind of stuff. But MGM is a partner in that as well. Now, Amazon can work with the Broccolis if they want to make future Bond films as well, that I'm certain are going to be theatrical. Rob, you and I have said for a while, that do not sleep on Amazon. Amazon and Apple, for that matter. Amazon is one of the most valuable companies in the world. They can buy and sell Disney five times over without blinking. Without blinking. They have all the resources in the world, and they have decided they want to get involved in entertainment, and they have done a great job with movies like The Big Sick, with television shows like The Boys or The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and a lot of the other great stuff they've put on there as well. They're serious, they've got deep pockets, and they are planning for the future, and they just made a major move that I think, Rob, some people are saying that they thought Amazon overpaid. I am telling you, for what they just got, I think $8.5 billion is a steal. I think they just made a great move, and uh, I think it's a terrific move for Amazon. I think this gives actual massive liquidity to MGM. Now's a studio, and by the way, Rob, the reports say that MGM is going to remain as and a unit under Amazon. It's going to give them all the resources in the world to continue to do the work that they want to do. Rob, I just don't see a downside for this because if Amazon didn't step in and somebody else didn't step in, five years from now, I don't think MGM was going to exist. That roaring lion was going to be gone. And so I think this is really, really interesting and really, really good news for MGM and Amazon. Rob, you had a chance to digest a whole bunch of this. Where are your thoughts on this right now?
1: Well, like you, I mean... I I've loved the MGM brand my whole life. I mean, one of my favorite things in life was seeing the stylized graphic treatment of the MGM logo at the front of 2001, a space odyssey. And I I've loved MGM my whole life. I love that roaring lion. And if we can see this studio come back, I mean, obviously MGM, I don't remember a time when MGM wasn't in some kind of financial straits. And now I would love to see this come back. I mean, What's great, I think, about all this is the studios themselves, movie studios, they barely hang on. They're not a, a, a large margin business. They're not as many times as we hear like, oh, my God, this movie made $3 billion. The studios don't get all of that money. And so to have Amazon backing a studio, now the studio still has to make great product. You still need very talented people to be making the movies there and to be making the decisions there. But I love to see that this this brand that's over a hundred years old now to come back and continue on and hopefully have its luster restored to it is exciting to me. and And I'm hoping that one of the great things about these streaming companies, it's giving these studios a little bit more financial stability. they've They can cash flow things. Um, the economics work differently than if it was a standalone studio. So I'm hoping, like you said, that it's a good thing. But again, what's really important is to still make great movies and great content. Because at the end of the day, if you're not doing that, you're not doing the very thing that you're supposed to be doing. And if that's not happening, well, that's that's bad. So it's still up to the studios to carry themselves and 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 make good stuff, which means you need great executives with vision that love movies, that hire the right people to make the great things that we all want to see that are are theatrically released and do well, and then also become draws on Amazon Prime. So let's hope they do that. And and that's going
0: to be that. And Rob, I remember a while ago, uh, this would be months ago, somebody asked, hey, you know, uh, five years from now, what are going to be like the top four streaming services? And I remember we put on that list that Amazon Prime and Apple TV Plus are going to be in those top four, maybe even in the top two. Um, And people, oh, wait, they're barely a footprint. And we said at the time, listen, these are companies that are the two biggest companies in the world. They don't do anything willy-nilly. They have both decided that we are taking the entertainment space seriously, and we are going to make major investments in them. They have all the platform reach in the world. When you're talking about Apple's uh, you know, ecosystem, and when you're talking about Amazon with its own platforms, like the Fire Stick and all that kind of stuff, the Apple TV, all that sort of stuff. And more importantly, they, compared to other studios, including Disney and Warner Brothers, they have unlimited resources they have Mm -hmm. the resolve they have the resources they have the platforms and they have the reach they are going to be two of the probably top three streaming services five years from now and i think moves like this acquiring an mgm and that library rob that library that they're getting on top of all the IP they can now create things with, I think RoboCop is a part of that as well. So actually, I think it was Variety has a big list of, like of all the IP that Amazon is now going to own, and it's an impressive list that gives them a lot of interesting options in the future. Now, some people are asking, Rob, a, a very, very good question. In the immediate, what does this mean for No Time to Die? And I understand. I see a lot of people writing in and asking this question. What does this mean for No Time to Die? It doesn't mean anything for No Time to Die. No Time to Die is going to come out and be in theaters long before this deal is ever finalized and before it gets final government approval. But even if Amazon took over the company today – it really wouldn't mean anything for it. They would still follow through with their plans and stuff like that. And at 007, at least for the for foreseeable future, Amazon, obviously, because we've already talked about the Hollywood Reporter Report, they totally believe in putting their movies in theaters because well, they think it helps their streaming services.
1: Yeah, they, they actually, Eon, which is Barbara Broccoli and Michael Wilson's company, released a statement today, according to Deadline, that says, we are committed to continuing to make James Bond films for the worldwide theatrical audience and that it is going to go exclusively theatrical.
0: Yeah, which is exactly what Amazon's philosophy has been for other than their, you know, the movies they specifically make to put directly onto streaming and stuff like that. They love the theatrical model. So I think this is good stuff. John, I
1: mean, we talk about things like having a Bond universe. I would love to see them go back and re-adapt all of the Bond novels, but make them period pieces again. So go back and do like a James Bond series where you adapt, say, a book, a season and really expand them and maybe start them post World War II. You could actually see James Bond's career as part of the in the British Navy, which we've never really seen. And you go back and you just readapt. Who wouldn't watch that? You find somebody if you if you could find somebody like a Henry Cavill to play a Bond and you knew you were going to make all the Bond books and and set them between the end of World War II to, say, 1965, cover that 20-year period of time, that could be dope. I would love to see something like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, but also think about, too, Rob, like a, a lot of people have been saying for a long time that with, like, 007, there is, if you, look, all the rage is cinematic universe. If you want to do that, then tell some stories about 003. right tell some stories about 009. Like you can you can do a cinematic universe type thing here and you can create these other super spies that are very fundamentally different from James and you can create other adventures and things like that. And then later you can do an Avengers type thing where 003, 007, 009, and 006 together and they're all teaming up to go and take on, I don't know who, being led by Henry Cavill as James Bond. The reason a lot of us keep saying Henry Cavill is because he was the runner-up to play Bond to Daniel Craig. If they didn't pick Craig, Henry Cavill was the next guy they were going to pick. But anyway, this goes way beyond Bond. I mean, it goes way beyond Bond. There's a lot of existing content and a lot of intellectual IP that Amazon just got control of. Again, this gives a fresh injection of life into MGM Studios. It gives brand new content to Amazon, and I think they got it for a good price. End of the day, I think this is a great deal. The question is for you guys. What do you think about this deal? Are you concerned about it? Do you really not care about any of the properties that belong to MGM? A lot of us certainly do. Do you think this is a good move for them, a bad move, win-win? What do you guys think? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With all that down and out of the way, let's now move on and start taking your live questions. Once again, if you want to get a live question in on the show, simply use the tip link in the description below. You can just click on it there, or you can enter it in manually at StreamElements.com slash MovieBlogTV slash tip. You're getting your comment or question on the show, if it's appropriate and applicable to using on the show. But, of course, you're also supporting the channel as you do it. And we all thank you very, very much for letting us do shows like this every day. All right. Let's get on over and start taking your live questions, guys. First up, we're going to go to Anthony R. who writes, The other day, I know you were envious because I was seeing an advanced screening of A Quiet Place 2. I remember you wrote in. You were going to go see that. (laughs) Prepare to be even more envious. Credits roll, and the manager takes out a Hollywood director's chair. John Krasinski shows up. Best return to the movies. I have heard that, Rob. John Krasinski has been going around Uh, to all these screenings of A Quiet Place 2 and what he's calling a return to the movies tour and surprising audiences with that. I've been in theaters when things like this happen. It's always a fun experience, and it's great. And, of course, I've got my tickets for tomorrow night. I'm going to go watch uh, A Quiet Place 2 tomorrow night. I'm going to go to my old stomping grounds, Rob. I'm going to the AMC Burbank 16 to go watch it there because I have to be in, in Hollywood tomorrow for some meetings so I can't go to my local one here I'm going to go out there by the way Dragon 10 sends nice. in a super chat badge in the live chat thank you Dragon 10 so I'm going to go out there and watch that tomorrow very very excited for it it's getting rave reviews obviously north of 90% already on Rotten Tomatoes I'm hearing it's just absolutely incredible I am stoked Rob where's your anticipation level right now for a quiet place too
1: dude I, I mean the reviews are off the chain I, uh, you know, uh, uh, sequels for something like A Quiet Place, which is a pretty great idea, you know, I'm like, "Eh, how good can it be? But I'm reading these reviews thinking, my God, bringing back – I love the idea that John Krasinski is becoming this great director, you know, and that it's it's his property. Like, he created it. And the fact that this second one is as good as people seem to be saying – uh, I think my, my excitement level is
0: pretty off the charts. All right, next up, we've got BK Dan who writes, John, I think Big Bang Theory was successful because it brought geekdom to the front row. I disagree. Geekdom was already at the front row, which is why they made Big Bang Theory to capitalize on that. That's why Big Bang Theory got made. It's because the geek culture were now the mainstream. And so they were capitalizing that. Listen, the Big Bang Theory, despite the fact that I didn't like it, it was successful because it was successful. It got huge viewership numbers. I mean, when you go beyond five seasons in a TV show, you're obviously connecting with an audience. Big Bang Theory, it doesn't matter that I didn't like it. The reality is the Big Bang Theory was a long-running, successful, highly-viewed show. I didn't think a particularly good show, but a lot of people did. A lot of my friends love that show but it didn't bring geekdom to the front row geekdom made it to the front row and so they were like let's take advantage of that and make a show about geekdom even though they clearly didn't understand geekdom but uh it was successful because it was successful and it uh doesn't matter that i didn't like it can't deny that it was an absolutely successful show all right next up Russell Amador writes, Hey, John, this November to next May will consist of four epic Marvel movies, those being Eternal, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, and Thor. In what order would you put these in terms of your anticipation level? Um, I don't normally like to to make lists like that, but let me see what what I can do here. It's, you know, my number one most anticipated of this list, Rob, was Thor just because I loved Ragnarok. And since Ragnarok, Taika Waititi did Jojo Rabbit, which I thought was phenomenal filmmaking. But with Chloe Zhao winning Asterix Best Director of the Year at the Asterix Oscars, and her <laughs> film, her film winning Best Picture, Nomadland winning Best Picture, and now getting a taste of this trailer, which seems like it's not—it's definitely not just your common comic book movie. It is a century spanning epic tale of some sorts. Yeah. I actually think Eternals might have taken that number one spot. So I will say for now, because I'm looking forward to all of these. And by the way, you forgot. Um, uh, oh, no, Shang-Chi comes out before that. But I'm going to say it'll be number one Eternals, number two, Thor Love and Thunder, number three, Spider-Man No Way Home, and number four, Doctor Strange. And it's like, oh, you don't, you're don't? you not looking forward to Doctor Strange? Oh, I'm very much looking forward to Doctor Strange. Just that I'm looking forward to all these. Rob, if you had to put these in order of your anticipation list, how would you order them?
1: Well, Eternals is by far the thing that I'm most looking forward to. Then Shang-Chi, uh then Black Widow and then Spider-Man.
0: All right, but well remember, we're talking November to to May. Oh, so right, Black right. Widow's not in there. So you've got Yeah, yeah you're right. You're right. have got okay. Eternals, uh, Spider-Man, Doctor well, Strange and Thor.
1: Uh, yeah, f- pardon me. I was I was thinking about the rest of the, uh, this year. But uh so it's Eternals first. Thor then Spider-Man. You know. So and, same order and, as me. No, 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 it's... wait, wait, hang on, hang on. No, no, wait. Okay. Eternals, Eternals, Doctor Strange. Ah. Thor and then Spider-Man. Okay. And I'll tell you, you know, I've liked the Spider-Man movies, but they've all kind of been sort of one note for me. I really like Tom Holland as Spider-Man. Hmm. But the stories haven't like I I really like Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio. But then where it went it just kind of left me, I, they're good, but I didn't love them. And I think that I, I Ragnarok was so much fun. I don't know what gonna do with, Taika Waititi is going to do with Love and Thunder, but I'm all there for that. And the multiverse of madness, I mean, Rami's coming back to direct and knowing his directorial style. I mean, if he puts that evil dead, the quick and the dead flourish on the filmmaking here, and, and I think Doctor Strange is going to be a bonkers visual feast and then of course Eternals is something that I I'm I love the source material and of course Chloe Zhao the fact that we're going to get her sensibility makes it really I think worthwhile I think we're going to get something new and different at least I'm hoping so I'm really optimistic about these films and a lot of people are saying John we're in the midst of a Marvel backlash anyway where I I don't know why, but I mean, also, I want to just throw in Loki into the mix of this. I know it comes out before, but I think Marvel's really kind of gone off the deep end in terms of their bonkers choices. And I'm all there for it. I think that, you know, they already did something galaxy spanning, universal spanning that's epic. And now they're going to take us into the bonkers nature of what the Marvel universe can be with the time variance authority, the multiverse of madness, whatever happens in Love and Thunder, and maybe you know the multiverse that even Spider-Man might touch on. I can't wait.
0: Yeah, and I don't know that we're in the midst of a, a Marvel backlash. What I suspect we're in is something that you and I talked about over a year ago, which is just I still think we're in the post-end game lull. You know, that, that mm-hmm. endgame happened, you had your crescendo. You know, every, we all blew our proverbial loads that would have been pent up for 10-plus years and 20-plus movies as the MCU built up. And yes, we've had a couple of TV shows. like We had WandaVision, which is great, and we had Falcon Winter Soldier, which is great. But I think it's just we're still sensing that overall lack of Marvel passion that was around during the days of Endgame because we hit the crescendo. They're going to have to rebuild it. And it's going right. to be interesting to see if Black Widow can, as a theatrical experience, start to do that or not. Anyway, it's going to be interesting to see. All right, next up, we've got Shane who writes, who's your favorite member of the Fantastic Four, and who would you cast in the role? I don't do X actor and X role picks, just so you know. Uh, For me, it's Tom Hardy as Ben Grimm. Also, uh, bring back Open Mic, please. Well, Open Mic was changed to... Uh, a thing for our Patreon supporters only, and that is starting back up in June. We are starting back uh, up open mic in June. Life for me just got way too crazy and hectic and I just didn't have time to keep up with it. But now that we're kind of getting back settled in and all that kind of stuff, open mic is returning in June for our Patreon supporters. Um, I mean, it's made available to everybody else on the podcast feed, but it is, uh, it's is—it's only for questions and topics submitted by our Patreon supporters. Anyway, uh, yeah, I don't do X-actor and X-role things because you say Tom Hardy is Ben Grimm, but maybe the script for Fantastic Four makes Tom Hardy the absolute worst fit for it. You just never know. So I'd say my favorite member of the Fantastic Four, though, is probably Grimm, is probably the thing. Mm. Um, he I actually, Rob, read... A comic book, my first exposure to anything to Fantastic Four, and it's one of the earliest comic books I ever read, was Thing fighting Hulk. This is a long, long time ago. So I was actually exposed to Thing as my first exposure to the Fantastic Four, and so he's always kind of remained my favorite character. Do you have a particular favorite in the uh, Fantastic Four?
1: I, okay, my favorite Character in the Fantastic Four has always been Reed Richards. You know, everyone goes for the thing. Like when I was a kid, everyone loved the thing. It's clobber in time. The thing would fight the Hulk, and everybody was into that. But, you know, for me, I always saw the Fantastic Four more along the lines of Star Trek, you know? Right. And I loved Reed Richards because he was like the smartest dude in the Marvel universe. He had Sue Storm, who was, a—I thought, a blonde hottie, you know, like a Hitchcock blonde, you know, and her brother, Johnny Storm, was the Human Torch, which was badass, but I love Reed Richards. I love Reed Richards, and I can't wait to see the Fantastic Four. I've never felt that the Fantastic Four was cast properly, yet. I've never believed in them on screen.
0: Well, again, I don't think it's not that they weren't cast properly, it's just that they weren't cast properly for the scripts as they were written for those in because you know again uh, I yeah, never know I get, how yeah. to pronounce Ian Guff Guffrol, the guy who played Reed in those two yeah, Fantastic Four movies
1: I, Yon, I, Yon
0: Yon Gruff, I, I I like the guy I like I think he's a very good actor but I do too he he's could fun. have been a great. I think he could have been. He had the potential to be a great Reed Richards, but he wasn't a fit for the, for the script that was written, and the script was terrible to start with. But I, I guess, that's part of the problem, Rob. It's hard to feel good about any of the casting when none of the movies have been particularly good yet. And so it's going to be interesting to see if they're able to turn, uh, turn one in. That's good. All right, uh, let's move on here. Next up. Uh, Jeff in San Diego writes, John, after I watched Army of the Dead, I wanted yours and Rob's opinion on something. Did you two find that the movie took a lot of elements from aliens? It almost seemed like he just repurposed the alien script. What do you two think? Thanks. I never thought that. That thought never crossed my mind. Uh, there was certainly nothing deeper, interesting enough in the script uh, about <laughs> my buddy Ryan came. You know, Ryan, Rob, my buddy Ryan came yeah, yeah. over yesterday to watch the Lakers game with us. He's like, man. I watched uh, Army of the Dead today. I'm like, really? What do you think? Man, that movie's awful. <laughs> like, all right. I I still had fun with it. I know everybody's bashing on it now. I still had fun with it, but it's it's got a pretty weak scoop. Up. I never felt any kind of aliens connections. Did you, when you were watching it, did you get those overtones? Yeah,
1: uh, uh, People keep saying that, but I'm like, <clears throat> not really. You know, because the thing about, the thing about aliens is the, the the team the the colonial marines felt to me like this unit that had been working together for a really long time they were very capable there was uh, while there was a lot of ribbing between them they seemed like a very crack team and like i remember i love the scene where where hicks says is this going to be a, or no is it hudson who says is this going to be a stand up fight or another bug hunt and then Gorman says, "All we know is that a xenomorph might be involved," and that's when Hicks says, "It's a bug hunt." Like these <laughs> guys and girls, they know what's up, and I, I think that's different than what we got. Um, it was, let's say, it's a little bit more loosey goosey, and I can understand why people. I mean, I wanted, I wanted more than what we got but people keep making that comparison i guess i understand why but i don't necessarily agree with it i
0: i don't either i mean i i see a lot of tropes borrowed from a lot of different movies yeah put in there but i i I don't know but that's just me and listen it's it all depends on how the movie hits you and if it hits you in such a way that it's really reminiscent of aliens great it didn't hit me that way but that's perfectly fine all right next up um Let's see. Uh, that was Jeff in San Diego. BK Dan writes, John, have you seen that the new D&D movie will be set in Forgotten Realms World? Uh, it was leaked uh, leaked New York Paramount on or leaked by Paramount on Twitter. I haven't seen that, but it's really rather irrelevant. It doesn't really matter which kind of thing they decide to set it in, right? It, it really doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is do they, unlike what they did with the Jeremy Irons version, make a good movie? Because right. where it's set is completely irrelevant. So I'm not worried about that. Now, I'm excited for a D&D movie, Rob, because I'm a D&D guy. But uh, where, like, what, uh, what kind of environment they set it in doesn't really matter to me. All right, BK Dan also writes, John, you mentioned the coat from Matrix that you got. Behold the coat of Campia. Rob, I was talking on a video the other day about how I have no fashion sense. Like, I have none. And I don't spend money on clothes. Like, I am cheapest of the cheap ass when it comes to clothes because I don't really care. But the most money I ever spent on an article of clothing, and this is years ago, years ago, when I was still living in Canada, even like early, I walked into this leather shop, and they had this full-length shoulder-to-ankle flowing black leather kind of Morpheus coat. And I'm like, yeah. And I, I bought it, and... I thought I looked cool at first and then I realized I just looked like an idiot and I spent more money on that than I've ever spent on an article of clothing and I never wore (laughs) it again and I never, ever spent more. I never spent, like, people buy, like, Rob, I've had staff members that walk in, like, like, granted, some of the girls who've worked with us, I mean, like, that's part of the image and I get it, so you're kind of investing in that, but, like, I've had staff members walk in wearing, like, $400 pairs of jeans and I'm like, I paid 35 bucks. (laughs) For mine at Walmart. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's just me. Oh, you know you what? Know, that came up as a part of your discussion about your coat. That's when I was talking about it. it was was your coat came yeah, up, yeah. and I was like, yeah, no, mine, mine, mine is well, terrible. I,
1: I think also that it's important to dress for the milieu that you work in. For instance, if I worked in finance, like when I watch American Psycho, I love seeing those dudes in their bespoke suits and their bespoke business cards. If I worked in finance... I would have all Savile Row bespoke tailored suits of the best material because the way you present yourself is the way that you're going to do business. And I think you're really making a statement. Just like if you, if you go into a meeting, say with a Hollywood, like uh, you're, you're hired to direct something and you walk in, like maybe you can go in in jeans and a, and a, and a hoodie you could. But I also think that it's just the way our society is people size you up. And, like, when I'm here on YouTube wearing cool, geeky T-shirts that have, you know, arcane references, like, this shirt I'm wearing right now is about Chinatown, if people understand, like, oh, J.J. Giddies, that's Jack Nicholson's character from Polanski's Chinatown, then it gives me, I think, a certain level of credibility within the geek world. But if I was wearing a coat and tie doing this, I think it would be a little weird and (laughs) off-putting. So, you know, I think dressing the part is important because you have to put an image forward because I think that's just how people people work but also you know I've gotten to the point in my life where I used to dress up a lot more back in like my early 20s wearing linen suit jackets because I wanted to be like Crockett and Tubbs <laughs> but and going out at night meeting hot women you know and when you're 23 24 25 but now I'm an old man with one foot in the grave and I'm just I just want to be comfortable
0: Yep. Yeah, that that's been me since I was 19. I just want to be comfortable. That's where something's comfortable. All right. Next up, BK Dan writes, John, just wanted to mention that Star Wars turned 44 today, the 25th of May, 1977. Yep. Very aware of Star Wars. I don't like commemorate every single birthday like next year. We'll probably make a big deal out of the, the, the birthday of the original Star Wars, be turning 45. That's a significant, like, just like we did for its 40th anniversary and stuff like that. But yes, everybody, you know, May the 4th is Star Wars Day. Really, it's May the 25th is Star Wars Day, but there's that. All right, Jesse writes, I don't think a future Batman fatigue is coming. I mean, we've already had three Nolan films, uh, Affleck's Batman, the Batman Arkham series, the Lego Batman movie and games, the telltale Batman series, Gotham, uh, Batman animated movies and Pennyworth with no issues. Ah, no. See, that's where I believe that's where you're wrong. Jesse with no issues. No, there have been issues, but also keep in mind that a number of these things are not in front of the main audience. Like Rob, barely anybody has seen Pennyworth because I think it was, it's an epics show. Very few people have epics, so a lot of people never watch the epic show. And yeah, the Batman Arkham series games, I mean, that's fine, but not everybody plays those. That's not like in front of everybody's faces all the time. Not Hardly anybody went to go see the Lego Batman movie, although that's completely different because that's spoof. That's spoof comedy, but God, not enough people saw that movie, Rob, because I'm telling you, that Batman Lego movie was great. And nobody went to go see it. it. It didn't do very well at the box office, but now we're heading, but now you're taking all that and you're now compounding it with a new Ryan, uh, uh, Robert Pattinson, Ben Affleck and Michael Keaton coming back. Uh, even if it's just going to be small, that's fine. A new HBO max thing with a Batgirl thing and all this kind of stuff. and, I think you're underestimating that. I, I do worry that you start overusing this character. Um, yeah, I think the fatigue is going to set in. And you say, like you say, with no issues, Jesse, but the reality is, Rob, how many times just in the past you know, several months have we had people writing in every day? It's like, oh, look, another Batman thing. Oh, it's too bad they don't have any other characters and blah, blah. It is starting. It's starting, and I just think they need to be careful. I don't think it's inevitable, Rob, that people are just going to all get too tired of Batman. I don't think that's inevitable, but I think they need to be careful because we are starting to see the early signs of it if they're not careful moving forward. What do you think about that?
1: Well, look, uh, (laughs) obviously Batman has been a perennial favorite, generation after generation. We've been watching Batman in various iterations for decades and decades. Even as a kid, you know, I love the 66 Batman series. I had the Corgi Batmobile and all that. And I've never in 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 my life been tired of Batman. If there's a good Batman story, I'll watch it. But I do think that there's a point where, like we talked about, Pennyworth, a new animated series, Batman movies, then all the other Batman movies that we still watch, whether it's the Nolan trilogy or the Schumacher era or the Tim Burton era, I think they do have to, they have to keep the quality up. You know, they have to make sure that the Batman brand doesn't lose its luster like it did when we got Batman and Robin. Because one misstep can torpedo an entire, all the all the love you have for a franchise can be torpedoed by one, you know, one step off a cliff. <laughs> so you've gotta be careful. You've gotta treat it with respect. And like everything, I need a good, good characterization of Batman and that character has to be in a great story.
0: All right. Next up, we've got uh Costanza writes, Can't stand. you." Uh, All right. I recently saw your documentary Prince of Peace, God of War. Thank you for that, man. I appreciate that. That's the very first little documentary that I ever made. Anyway, As a Christian, I found it interesting hearing different theologies on war. I was curious if Hacksaw Ridge meant something more to you based on your opinions and experience on the topic. Yes, I'm not going to lie. Like We we talk a lot about, uh, it it comes up once in a while, Hacksaw Ridge, that of course starred Andrew Garfield. And I love that movie. And yes, actually, I, I think you're right on the money. Part of the, you know, when you look at the subject matter of my documentary, Prince of Peace, God of War, that is a very big part about why I found that movie very, very special. Because at the heart of it, Rob, when you get in that you have this man played by Andrew Garfield is based on a true story who completely a very devout religious guy who just believes that as a Christian, I cannot harm people. I'm not going to harm people. I'm not going to shoot people because that's not what Jesus would do, you know, sort of thing. And but he enlists in the military and. He goes in, he doesn't carry a gun, and all he does is he runs into battle to find wounded and injured soldiers to pull them out of the battle. So, they, And he even does it for enemy soldiers. He runs in and pulls enemy soldiers who were wounded out to help them out. And I, I love stories, even when they don't line up with my own personal point of view, Rob. I love stories that tell the stories of characters who are so committed to their basic understanding and philosophical outlook on life, that they're willing to die for it. And watching the story, I just found the story of this guy in Hacksaw Ridge so moving and so powerful. Uh, I just thought it was absolutely great. So it worked for me on many levels. And yes, absolutely, Costanza. Uh, one of the reasons it worked so well for me was absolutely because of the documentary I had done. Because I had spent two years working on that documentary and you know talking to all these people about the different points of view. And then to see it kind of, brought to life in that movie made it very special for me. So I I did like that a lot. All right, Mm. next up. Uh, The Spanker writes, in the 90s, there was a great alien abduction horror series or scene from a so-so movie called Fire in the Sky. I I remember Fire in the Sky. Uh, Dude,
1: that scene is epic, by the way. Epic.
0: And if you don't mind my asking, what are your thoughts on the Pentagon's plans to report on UFOs to Congress next month? Oh, I don't give a shit. I, I really don't give a shit about of that stuff. I, Come I don't, on, man. I, I want to believe. Hey, I mean, look, everybody just got to understand. All this stuff on UFOs is that, look, here's my basic understanding of this. What is a UFO? Literally, what is a UFO? It's an unidentified flying object. Like It could be any, there's still, just because you don't have, here's the problem with us as human beings. If we don't have an explanation for something, we instantly jump to something really extreme. And again, I'm not saying I don't believe in aliens. The universe is a big vast space and whatever and I'm not even saying I'm sitting here telling you I'm convinced aliens have never visited our world. I'm not I'm not saying that they have, I'm not saying that they haven't, but I I don't give a crap about all this UFO nonsense. I really don't. To me, until you've got something concrete to say, I really don't care, but I, Rob, you clearly do. You, you are, you are our Fox Mulder in this situation here.
1: <clears throat> well, as someone who has had a lifelong interest, you know, when I was a kid, our local library had all these books on strange phenomenon, spontaneous human combustion, the Bermuda Triangle, UFOs. I read them all, and I one day I came across a, a, an account of one of my dad's friends, this guy named Captain John Harder. And this book that I was reading, not knowing that I knew him, had an account of when he saw a UFO in a plane and it was reported and I got to ask him directly, I said, is this true? And he kind of sheepishly said, well, yes, yes. And he'd flew like, he'd flown every plane in World War II. And I said, you really saw a UFO? And he said, I saw something I couldn't explain. In all of my years of flying, there was something I saw and the account that was reported was actually true, according to him. And now we've got, according to this report, there's satellite telemetry. We now have real data about, they're now calling them uh, UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, instead of objects. And I just like the idea, look, man, if I get to be alive, John, when we have first contact with an alien civilization, that, my life would be complete. do I think it's happening? (laughs) I don't know, but it's going to be interesting. I can't wait to hear the details of this report. And I can't believe that we're going to get something. Maybe that would be surprising to people. So for me, bring it on. Aliens are real. Can't wait to meet them. I will sign up to go on the first trip to their home world. Even if they decide to eat me, like in the twilight zone episode to serve man,
0: (laughs) how to serve mankind. Um, all right, next up, uh, BK Dan writes, also, John, the late Andreas uh, Kats- Katsoulis uh, was another crossover between Star Trek and Babylon 5. Jakar on Babylon 5 and Tomalak on Star Trek. Yeah, Rob, we were talking the other day. I don't think you were here for it, but we were talking, uh, Babylon 5 came up. And as I mentioned, there was mentioning there's a friend of mine who's like the diehardest of diehard Babylon 5 fans. And a lot of my friends who are really into sci fi love Babylon 5. I didn't get nearly as much into Babylon Five as a lot of my friends did, but we talked about the connection between Star Trek, and I mentioned that uh, I, I believe I always mispronounce his name, but Walter Koenig is that how you pronounce Chekhov's name? Walter anyway, Koenig. Koenig. Ka- Koenig. Okay. Yeah. Koenig. So he was like this had a, a significant role in Babylon Five, and of course was in Star Trek, and apparently so this guy uh, was. Said, Tom, like, wasn't he like uh, like one of the Romulan guys? I can't remember specifically.
1: Yeah, ca- ca- you mean Katsulas? He was uh, Commander Tomalak? Yes. Yeah. He played that, and then he was Jakar also in in Babylon 5.
0: Ah, there you go. Another connection. Thanks for that, BK, Dan. All right, next up, Wes Maurer writes, Hey, John and Rob, just curious if you noticed that it was actually Anya Taylor-Joy doing the singing in the Last Night in Solo trailer. I didn't notice. I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, if she was, that's amazing. But I, you know, I just assume it's never the actor doing the singing until we're told otherwise. So I don't know if that's true, Wes, or not. If it is, then it is yet again just another level to Anya Taylor-Joy showing us different sides and more dimensions to her talent. So, but again, I don't know that. Rob, have you heard about anything about that at all? Do you know if that's true?
1: No, I don't know if it's true, but it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, yeah. Anya Taylor-Joy comes from a, a theatrical family, and it wouldn't surprise me any, at all if she's singing in the, in, the, um, in the
0: trailer. We'll find out. All right, next up, uh, Willow writes... Okay. Uh, You did not get the nickname Rampage from playing too much of the original Rampage arcade game, did you? No, I did not. Uh, I originally got the nickname Rampage, which I then had a bunch through school, and then I would always make as the name as my role-playing game characters. I would have, like I played a very, very long DC Heroes campaign using my character Rampage for a long time. It initially came up because me and a bunch of the guys in my neighborhood played football, and they just started to call me Rampage the way I played football. But don't think too much about that because we all gave each other hyperbole, ridiculous nicknames, you know, stuff like that. But for whatever reason, Rampage has kind of stuck a lot. And so I started using it a lot through things. So that's how that nickname kind of came about. All right, next up, Scott Brown writes. The other day, somebody mentioned Final Space. I highly recommend it. It's very funny with a lot of heart. It reminds me of a better Zap Brannigan. Nothing is better than Zap Brannigan. Let's be clear. Uh, the show is much better than it has any business being and stars David Tennant and Ron Perlman. Uh, it's on HBO Max. You're yeah, up. I, I saw some things for Final Space. I never watched it. Did you ever watch Final Space? Is it, is it worth it or anything?
1: I I never did. And I, I, I'm sorry to say that I did not. I have not watched it.
0: I have also not heard a lot about it. I mean, I've heard a few people mention that they watch it and like it. But just because Scott brought up Zap Brannigan, I'm not a huge Futurama fan. Oh, don't get me wrong. I'll, I'll pop on to think of Futurama and, and enjoy it here and there. But I'm not like a, a massive, massive fan. But Zap Brannigan, I don't know if you're familiar with him, Rob. He is a... Captain Kirk esque character on uh, Futurama that is a recur, it recurs once in a while. And he's got this Captain Kirk kind of thing about him. But I, everything about Zap Brannigan kills me. I remember the first time I saw Zap Brannigan in a Futurama episode. Ah, uh, yes, my victory at whichever battle it was. We were facing a legion of killbots, And I knew though, the secret to the kill bots is they have a preset kill limit. So I sent wave after wave of my own men at them until they killed their kill limit. And then I defeated them. <laughs> it's just like, I just remember him saying, I sent wave after wave of my own men. Anyway, Zap Brandigan uh, kills, but no, I have not seen final space yet, but, uh, but thanks for putting that out there, Scott. All right. Next up, our Murray Reich writes, uh, you should check out, from Screen Junkies, second channel, fandom entertainment. Uh, there's a video called, By the Numbers, The Crimes of Batman. They basically showcase how many murders or damages he has committed <laughs> in each franchise with each total. Uh, very fascinating. Well, listen, there is, I- I've talked about this one video a lot, Rob. There, I, th- I believe it's Mr. Sunday Movies had, has made a great video th- about Batman's kill count in Batman movies, because everybody was complaining, oh, the Ben Affleck Batman killed people. He wouldn't do that. And then so he goes through, oh yeah, you want an actual count of all the times Batman has killed on screen already? Not even counting the animated stuff, just counting just the live action movies. From Nolan's movies, the Schumacher things, all the way through, they're just showing, here's all Batman killing, the Michael Keaton Batman movies, and it's like a very big number. (laughs) Like a very big number. But today people wanted to complain about it today, even though they've never complained about it before. But I thought it was really interesting. Rob, have you ever seen that Mr. Sunday movies uh, video, or have you seen this, uh, uh, the numbers, the crimes of Batman? I haven't seen that other one.
1: I haven't seen that particular video, but I've definitely seen various iterations of that. Like how many, <laughs> how many, not just who, how many kills, but how many people, uh, how many crimes Batman has committed, whether it's personal violations. And I'm like, I just find it so interesting, that this idea that Batman is never killed or Superman's never killed. I mean, give me a break. Of course (laughs) they have. (laughs) These these things are going to happen. There's going to be collateral damage. They're fighting crime. I mean, Superman's frequently fighting people who have the technology to destroy cities. So, you know, not everybody gets brought to justice the way you might want them to be.
0: All right. Next up. Uh, we've got Ryan G who writes Hey John or Rob if he's here and Rob is here as a matter of fact. This Hello. question is for both of you and here it is. I can't believe you two say you don't like the big bang theory. Uh it's for geeks. And a geek and uh and and a geek and nerd and I found it really funny uh for shame John and Rob. Well here's the thing. Yeah, they made it for geeks. But they don't understand geekdom. That that's that's always been my problem with it. It's like it's clearly a show for geeks, but it's being written by people who don't understand geek culture. They just like read some headlines, and it's it's like, hey, don't uh, don't the kiddies say if they like something that it's fat? Yeah, let's let's say fat, and you know that's. That's just as it struck me. Now, again, it's a TV show, which means it's art, which means it's subjective. And if it hits you in such a way that it's – and by the way, clearly a lot of people liked it, man, because it lasted a lot of seasons with huge viewership numbers. I'm not taking away from its success or the mark or the imprint that it made at all. It obviously did a lot of things right. But to me, it was faux geekdom. It was faux geek culture. They kind of took the surface cliches of geekdom and tried to say, look, we're down with the kiddies. We know what's, by-. and it's like, you don't, you clearly don't understand this, but just because that's how it hit me doesn't mean it's not how it should hit you. So I'm not going to say shame on you for liking it, but I will also not accept you saying shame on me for not liking it because I, I respect that it worked for you. That's great. Just because I didn't like it doesn't mean you shouldn't, but no, I i just, it hit me in such a way that it was targeted at geeks being made by somebody who simply didn't understand geeks. But, but that was just me. I don't know, Rob. What would you say to that?
1: Well, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I'm a geek. I'm a lifelong geek. And I, I'm i a different kind of a geek than I, I didn't recognize myself at all in Big Bang Theory. I thought it was it was the public perception of what geeks are. It was playing on stereotypes that were decades old. And I get it. I mean, there's a lot of amusing stuff in there. But, you know, I, I, in a way I saw it kind of as a sideshow show. It was the way you'd go, the way you used to to go to carnivals and see the freaks, you know, back in the day, that's what it was doing. You know, it was, it was showing you a subculture and in in a way mocking that subculture. And, uh, it's like, Hey, look at these people. You don't want to be one of them, do you? But we'll still laugh at them. Ha ha ha. All right. I I agree.
0: I agree. All right. Next up. We got Ryan G who writes, Hey John, I love your rant on Batman. I'm not quite sure which rant on Batman that is. Uh, I loved all the Batman except for Batflex Batman. I list my favorite Batman is Batflex Batman. Anyway, at least the Batman versus Superman version, not the justice league version anyway, but he was okay at it. Maybe Battenson will be a little better than Ben's version of Batman. Who knows? That's the question. Yeah. Look, and again, it's all subjective. I, to me, The iteration of Batman portrayed by Ben Affleck in Batman versus Superman, while not the best movie, it was my all-time favorite iteration of Batman live action on the big screen. I just love that character and the way Ben Affleck and Zack Snyder clearly understood Batman, that Bruce Wayne is the fantasy, Batman is all that there really is, that Bruce Wayne died in the alley with his parents and the Batman was born. And now Bruce Wayne is just this facade. Whereas all the other movies, they really did portray it as, you know, he's still Bruce Wayne, but I take on this character at night to avenge injustice. Ben Affleck's Batman was completely different. He was Batman all the time, except for when he was putting on the act. And I loved that. Um, Let's see what they do with the Pattinson thing. Because, first of all, Rob Pattinson is a fantastic actor. Matt Reeves is a fantastic director. Rob, would I prefer a Ben Affleck directed and starring in Batman movie? Yes, I would prefer that. But if I can't have that, this is a great substitute. This is fantastic, Matt Reeves. So I'm really excited to see what they're doing. Where's your expectation right now for for Batman? you know, we've it's been several months since we had the trailer and all that kind of stuff. But where where are you at right now with this?
1: I, you know what? I think it looks terrific I mean it's it, it 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 seems like we're getting the most grounded Batman it like more so it's set more so in the real world even than I think well maybe not it looks more noirish to me you know it looks like almost a period piece Batman which I'm totally there for and I don't I I think it looks great it's it's right up my alley um we don't know much about it really and I don't I don't quite know how the I don't yet feel what the take on Batman himself is like, is there going to be a voice or is there going to be, is how is that going to work? And I, I, but, but what we've seen makes it look very intriguing to me. I'm really excited about it. Um, and it just seems like it's been in production for like five million years. But, oh God! But yeah. uh, I, 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 I can't wait to see it. When does it come out? Like twenty eight, twenty eight, or something?
0: Yes, I think at this point that's where it's, <laughs> it's technically coming out in twenty twenty two. So let's let's see what happens. Yeah, no,
1: I know. I'm I'm excited. I, it looks great to me. Um, you know, I'm not one of these people that's like, well, I don't like the cowl, so I'm not going to like the movie. I'm like, I, it's, I always want to wait and see. Show me the movie first, and then I'll decide whether I like it or not.
0: All right, next up, we got uh, Ryan G's also writes, Hey, John, when you, my, try this again. When you, my top movie for this year with the drum roll, that was bad. Do a better one next, please. When you, my top movie for this year. Let me try one more time. Hi, John. When you, my top movie for this year with the drum roll, that was bad do a better one. I'm not exactly clear on what you're asking, Ryan. I apologize about that, man. Um, Anyway, next up, James Argenta writes, "Uh, just finished Superman and Lois episode seven. It is my, I still haven't watched this seventh episode yet. I got to watch it today. I was going to watch it, uh, earlier, but I've just been busy the last couple of days. So haven't had a chance to see it yet. It did a good job balancing out dad, Clark Kent, Superman and Lois storylines. It's surprising revelation about spoiler will cause debate, hopefully civil amongst fans. Well, yeah, I listen, all I can say again is that I've been very impressed with this show. It has completely and very pleasantly surprised me. I was not expecting to like it at all. And I really do. And I can't wait to watch the next episode. Thank And I'll keep my eyes open for that, James. Thanks for putting that in there. All right. Last question we'll do with Rob here since, uh, we've run out of time with Rob Kirk writes. Hey, John and Rob, I was reading an article today from CNBC on the possibility of CBS Viacom and NBC universal uh, merging in order to compete thoughts. How would this work with both owning broadcast networks? It seems like we'll have even less, but bigger studios. Um, There's been whispers about that going around for a while, Rob, about uh, Viacom CBS and NBC universal, of course, under Comcast. Yeah. Um, Looking at maybe doing a merger, that is a far more complicated one than any of the other ones that have happened. There's so many complicating factors in that. And that is one that a lot of industry people have said it's not something that would ever pass government approval. Um, so I don't know. I mean, what would happen essentially what happens every other time? They would, you know, they would uh, create a uh, a conglomerate that would have like a major streaming service. They would probably still operate their individual networks uh, as a, as profit streams for the company and all that kind of stuff. But I, until I see right now, it's just a bunch of theory. This story, Rob, about Comcast and, and Viacom, it really is a bunch of theoreticals that a bunch of analysts are saying. It's really, there's nothing concrete to this yet. Maybe it could become concrete, but we'll worry about it more when that happens. So I have my doubts that I, again, I'm not saying it won't, I'm just saying right now, I feel kind of skeptical about that because I haven't heard anything that's legitimately concrete, that this is something that's actually happening behind the scenes. So I'm going to write it off for now. But it would be intriguing if they did because we're seeing a lot of the, the individual companies pulling a Voltron and trying to combine up to make something that can compete with the other Voltrons. So it would be interesting. I, I don't think it's going to happen. But again, I'm not saying it won't. Rob, I don't know. What do you think about these whispers you're hearing about of Viacom and Comcast and NBC Universal and Paramount? Well, what do you think about
1: well, it? Look, in this in this day, over the last couple of weeks, it wouldn't surprise me. But on the other hand, this isn't something you can just do (laughs) these are these are huge moves to make and i think like with this consolidation everyone's trying to shore up their position 5 10 15 20 years from now but ultimately i i i don't necessarily think this particular merger is going to happen right away um because there's too many forces i think that are are saying otherwise but you never know i just wonder you know Again, what worries me about all of this is the larger and larger these conglomerates that run these entertainment companies get, making good content, there still is an artistic component to making great programming. And the only way to win the streaming wars, as we've talked about, is to make content people want to see. So, you know, these companies buying MGM or or, or Warner Brothers uh, combining with Discovery or all this stuff, those companies. Those bigger and bigger companies are only as valuable as their product. And at the end of the day, no one ever talks about like, we're going to hire these filmmakers and we're going to have this initiative to make this great content that keeps our streaming services viable for the next 15 or 20 years. They never talk about that. They only talk about these acquisitions and we're going to have this IP and we're going to have this library. Yeah. But what have you done for me lately? How are you going to make new IP? What are they going to do in 20 years? You're going to remake the old IP? There needs to be brand new. That's why seeing Gunpowder Milkshake or seeing Last Night in Soho, you're like, wow, these are original movies that get me excited. I think some someday IPs, people are going to be like, enough. I want something new. And I hope these streaming services, more than any other thing, start making great new original programming that we can get behind. So, you know, in 44 years, we can celebrate the release of whatever great new piece of ip that's going to create another phenomenon for multiple generations like star wars did i hope that these new companies are going to come up with that because if they don't where are they going to be
0: well i mean i, I think you and i would both agree that we've been seeing some great content coming out of a lot of these uh, a lot of these yeah places. we have so hopefully That remains a focus, and they're able to continue on with that. Otherwise, it's like you said, it's all just going to be a lot of noise in the wind. Anyway, Rob, we know we've run out of time for you here today. Thanks a lot for being here. But in the meantime, where can people follow you and your adventures online?
1: You can find me on Instagram at uh, Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on uh, Twitter at Burnett RM. Or, of course, find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work.
0: Rob, as always, it's a pleasure having you here, man. Have a good one, and I'll talk to you later. All right. See you later, man. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. He'll be back, of course. But for now, we still got a few minutes left here, guys. Let's keep on going through your live comments and questions, shall we? We're going to pick up things up here with Hot Rod Todd, who writes... I just wanted to say that I took your advice of if it feels wrong, get it checked out. Yes, I remember saying that. And I found out I've been dealing with a kidney stone the last several days. That does not sound like fun at all, man. Uh, Thanks to your show and Rob's, you made the four hours in the waiting room go by a lot faster. Yeah, So this, of course, came from a, a couple of months back. I guess it's getting to be a couple of months ago. I started having some pain in my leg and it got worse and worse and worse. And I thought I had just pulled a muscle. But I started to suspect a DVT or a deep vein thrombosis because I kept hearing other people talking about My mom dealt with something kind of similar to that uh, a year and a half ago or so. So finally, one night, I couldn't take it anymore. It was in a lot of pain. And I went to the hospital like midnight. And it turns out, yep, there was a clot in the leg causing a deep vein thrombosis, which in and of itself isn't serious, but it can become something serious if it gets loose and travels to your lungs and you can develop a pulmonary aneurysm and just not good stuff. And, uh, but they gave me, you know, they took care of me and, and I'm good now. So yeah, my, my encouragement, cause I know as guys, cause my thing for the first few days was, ah, it's just some discomfort. Tough it out kid, you know, but honestly, yeah, if, if you're a guy or if you're, if you're anyone, if you've, you know, your body and if something starts to feel wrong, go get it checked out. I mean, absolutely. So I'm glad that you did hot rod Todd. All right, next up. Uh, Bill Hausair writes Danny Trejo as Ramirez and Nick Cage as the Kurgan <laughs> kidding or am I? Highlander is truly mental. Speaking of of uh, speaking of check out Frogleap Studios on YouTube amazing uh, metal covers of Africa Freebird Ice Ice Baby and many more including Agatha all along. yeah I'm not I'm not really familiar with that stuff. Danny Trejo though I mean that is a guy I never get tired of seeing on screen. I mean he even had a little bit of a recurring character in the Flash. Uh, as a time a future a, a time traveling future kind of uh bounty hunter dude and I really really liked him in that that he eventually loses his powers but I love him in that. Somebody told me how old Danny Trejo is the other day and I can't remember how old he is but I remember um I remember it really shocked me Danny Trejo is almost 80. He's 77 years old. And, you know, he's always had this really rough-looking um, exterior kind of grr, kind of man image. But I'll tell you what, even though he's always had that kind of... He's always had an older look, I think he looks fantastic for 77. Like, I, I think Danny Trejo looks amazing for 77. And, I mean, you're, you're again, once you start getting into... Um, You start getting into watching him in Flash, you can tell he's getting older, but he still looks great to me. Man, if I was putting together a movie or TV show or something like that, and I had a character that even remotely would fit a Danny Trejo, I would put Danny Trejo in anything, anytime. Sign me up for that, man. Sign me up. All right, next up, we got Omega Red writes, Hey, John and Rob, who's not here. I'm happy to see Angelina Jolie is back doing action films. It feels like forever since we've seen her in these types of roles. What are your favorite Jolie movies slash performances? Mine are Gia, Girl Interrupted, Salt, and Wanted. Sequel, please. Yeah, I listen. I, a Girl Interrupted is the one she won her Academy Award for. So, I mean, you obviously, you got to look at that one when you're talking about Angelina Jolie for sure. But I'm not going to lie. My favorite. Favorite Angelina Jolie is actually Wanted. Now I know not everybody loves Wanted. I, I get it. Some people's like, really? A uh, Cloth Weaver per- foretells the future, the loom of fate. Really? I get it. I do. But her, James McAvoy, uh, Morgan Freeman, Chris Pratt is in this. Before he was a big star, Chris Pratt, he plays like his, uh, he plays James McAvoy's jerk co worker that's cheating on his girlfriend uh, or that's cheating, you know, with James McAvoy's girlfriend in it. Anyway, um, I love Bend and Curve the Bullet. Bend the, I mean, I love that movie. I eat that movie up. And I think Jolie is fantastic in it. Salt is pretty good. I didn't love Salt, but I thought Salt was pretty good. But, yeah, I really like her in the action stuff, so it's going to be very, very cool to see her in um, to see her in Eternals because it is dramatic and action, so it's going to be really cool. It could be a very good combination for her. We'll see how that one turns out. Thanks for that, Omega Red. Next up, Skylar Hillman writes, Hey, John and Rob, uh, who are your favorite stand-up comedians? Some of my personal favorites are Bill Burr and Gabriel Iglesias. Um, my all-time fair i mean listen again it's always awkward to talk about but if i'm going to be honest and i'm not going to rewrite my history my all-time favorite comedian had always been bill cosby it's obviously very tough to talk about that now and very tough but if i'm going to be honest uh notwithstanding everything else that happened that Almost my entire life, my favorite comedian has been Bill Cosby. I honestly think he's probably been the greatest stand-up comedian of all time. Um, and when you listen to guys like Chris Rock and Jerry Seinfeld, they pretty much think so, too. Like, he is like the—that's it. It's it's Bill Cosby. He's the man. But I also really like guys like um, Stephen Wright. I love Stephen Wright. Uh, John Mulaney is a fantastic stand-up comedian. I have really more and more been getting into Joe Coy, uh, like a lot into Joey Coy. I really do like Joe Coy a lot. Uh obviously, then you go back if you I still go back and rewatch some of the old Richard Pryor stuff. Richard Pryor slayed as a stand-up comedian, like absolutely slayed. And then you go your your old, your old uh stand-up classics like Eddie Murphy stuff, whether it's raw or delirious or things like that. But yeah, I mean, there's just so many so many really, really good ones, but yeah, a couple of my more recent ones that I've really been getting into lately are John Mulaney and Joey Coy. Those are the ones I've been getting into a lot, uh, a lot lately. All right, next up, uh, Ryan G writes, Hey John, that trailer for last night in Soho looked unique, just like the movie will be unique as well. Maybe who knows? I mean, yeah, listen, it was a very artistic Um, not what I would expect. Like if I saw that trailer and you were to say to me, guess who directed this movie? I wouldn't have guessed Edgar Wright. So it's awesome to see Edgar Wright doing something like this, like getting into doing a film like this. Um, I love seeing directors kind of spread their wings more and obviously Edgar Wright is one of everybody's favorite directors. I thought it was a terrific trailer. It's going to be really interesting to see how that movie turns out. All right. BK Dan writes. John, uh, watching companion video. And I got to disagree that we did get in, let me try this again, watching the companion video. Cause I did one last night. Uh, and I got to disagree that we did get, in my opinion, one good video game movie, final fantasy, the spirits within. I thought that was awful. Oh my God, I thought that one was absolutely terrible. Anyway, uh, the animation was top-notch to the point that I had to seriously check out to see if it was live action. Now listen, yeah, I was working. When, when Final Fantasy The Spirits Within came out. Let me see if I can pull it up so you guys know what we're talking about. Uh, uh, Final Fantasy The Spirits Within. Okay, when it came out, and it's like 20 years old now. That movie is like 20 years old now, which is crazy. But when this movie came out, I was working in a in the a CG company, in a visual effects and animation company. And it it looks especially at the time. Like today it'll look a little bit dated, yes, but at the time that animation in uh, Final Fantasy the Spirits Within was unbelievable. Like, absolutely, unbelievably good. And by the way, BK Danson's in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, BK. I mean, again, I understand if you watch it today, 20 years later, maybe you won't think it doesn't look all that special. But at the time, 20 years ago, the animation in this movie was jaw-droppingly good. Like, we were amazed watching it. The problem is... It completely sucked. The animation was great, but the movie itself was just terrible. Now, of course, again, it's all subjective. Just because I doesn't like it doesn't mean you shouldn't like it and vice versa. But, yeah, I'm going to have to stick with my own personal thing that... Yeah, that one that one does not count as a win, even though I 100% agree with you, BK. 100% agree with you that the animation was jaw-dropping. No doubt about it. Alright, uh, let's see. Next up, we got a few minutes left here. Uh, BK also writes, John, voice actor Sebastian the Crab and Lil- oh, he passed away. I just heard about this. Uh, the voice actor Sebastian the Crab and Little Mermaid, uh, voiced by Samuel Wright, has died at 74 years old from The Hollywood Reporter. Yeah, I saw that listed the other day. It's It's always sad to hear about that. I mean, You know, Rob often says, when we hear about some of these celebrities who die at a decent age, and 74 is still a little young, but a decent age. You know, I like the way Rob puts it when he says, you get to celebrate a life well lived. And uh, it was it was sad to hear that. It was really sad to hear that. Thanks for sharing that BK. All right, about Fast 9, RIP Paul. 100% too ridiculous, but definitely not the worst one. Uh it's the third worst. I rewatched them all this week because I saw Fast 9 last night, and the second one and the fourth one are by far worse and should and should Black Panther 2 do what the last shot of Fast 9 did with the GTR, I don't know what that means, because that was handled great. Um If what you're talking about is how they kind of did a digital Paul Walker while they were singing, and I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. There you go. You're welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Nah, if you're going to say T'Challa's gone, then T'Challa's gone. Don't have have some actor in there with the CG-faced thing. I I wouldn't do that. Plus, if you do that, you remove the possibility of recasting T'Challa later. And by the way... Notice that Kevin Feige never said, we'll never recast T'Challa. They're just not going to recast him for this upcoming Black Panther Wakanda Forever movie. They could still recast for the character later on. But if you do like a CGI thing, you make that more problematic. So I don't think they're going to do that. I still personally think Fast 9 is the worst one. I think the second worst one is Fast 2, the second one. And then I think... um, the third worst one is probably Tokyo Drift. I know Rob loves Tokyo Drift, so I'm glad I can say that while he's not here, but I thought that movie was terrible. But uh, yeah, for me, Fast 9 is still is easily the worst one. But that's just me. And I say that as a fan of the franchise. Anyway, next up. No Country for Old Sam writes, what's a director whose work you revere, minus one or two films. For me, it's Lars Von Trier He's got a, a pretty extensive thing. Anyway, he has one of my all-time favorites in Melancholia and my least favorite of all time, uh, The House That Jack Built. You know, I didn't hate The House That Jack Built. I, I'm, I'm not saying it's a particularly good film. Don't misinterpret me. Uh, but that one was garbage. Um, well, listen, I often talk about um, Steven Spielberg. I mean, I think Steven Spielberg is bar none, the greatest filmmaker of all time. He has shown that he has more tools in his two belt. He can do period piece. He can do drama. He can do comedy. He can do action. He can do sci-fi. He can do, you name it, he can do it. And he does it all while getting his movies nominated for best picture of the year. He can do, you know, catch me if you can. And he can do Schindler's list. I mean, it's, it's, nuts there's i don't think there's ever been a better filmmaker than steven spielberg that said i hate the terminal the one he did with the great tom hanks and Catherine zeta jones and stanley tucci i hate that movie and it's steven spielberg that's why i always say everybody's got a bad day at the office everybody's got a bad day at the office um, and that was, I think to me, the terminal was, was Steven Spielberg's bad day at the office. So anyway, that's just me. All right. Thanks for the question. No country All right, next up James LH writes, uh, one of two. From the dawn of time, we came, moving silently down through the centuries, living many secret lives, struggling to reach the time of the gathering, when the few who remain will battle to the last. No one has never, no one has ever known, uh, we were among you until now. Highlander. Uh, here we are, John. You are hearing Cor- uh, Connery's voice. Like you, I've been a fan of Highlander since I first watched it in 1986. I love the casting of Henry Cavill. Also, different subject, but have to mention, John. Uh, uh, looking forward to May. 28th and the return of Lucifer. Oh my God. The, first of all, that it is one of the greatest pieces of movie news. I have ever had the privilege of reporting. Number one is still when they announced that star Wars was coming back and that Disney had acquired Lucasfilm. That to me is the number one piece of news ever. Maybe number two was Ben Affleck cast as, as Batman. Cause I love that. But like I said, if God had a kitchen where he went in and mixed up movie news for specific things, if God himself had walked into a kitchen and said, I need to make up some movie news today. That'll give that John Campy a kid, a boner. Well, he did it. Henry Cavill in the Highlander done. Instant Viagra reaction. Without the Viagra, I mean, that's just it for me. I mean, Henry Cavill and the Highlander, my top 10 all-time favorite films with one of my favorite movie stars today. Check, 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 sign me up. Um, But yes, Lucifer finally coming back. We're finally getting the second half of the newest season. And then, of course, we're going to be getting another season of that um, after that as well. But I'm very, very excited. You guys know Lucifer might be my favorite thing on television right now. I love this show deeply. Uh, It is one I didn't think looked very good. I was a little bit late to the party because I didn't think it looked like it was worth watching. I have fallen in love with the show. Tom Ellis playing Lucifer Morningstar is probably my favorite character on TV right now. Cannot wait for this thing to start back up again. All right, next up, Uh, we've got... Uh, Man of Steel is a masterpiece, writes, Henry Cavill is my favorite Superman, mine too, uh, and I love Man of Steel. With Discovery buying Warner Media over under 40%, this means that we might have a higher chance of still seeing a proper Man of Steel 2. I seriously hope we'll see one. Honestly, I don't think it affects it at all. I I, I Because right now we have no idea what the heads of discovery are going to do. It's all going to be a, a part of who do they appoint as the new leaders of Warner media? Cause it's not going to be Jason Kalar. Jason Kalar who is the current CEO and chairman of Warner media. He's going to be out. We already know that. So a lot of it will have to do with something. We don't know the answer to who do they put in charge of Warner brothers. And we don't know who that's going to be. So right now I'm going to say it's a push. Listen, if you ask me right now, I still believe there is a decent chance we get a Man of Steel 2. I really do. I mean, yeah, they're bringing in, they're doing this black Superman movie, and that's fine, but obviously that's going to be a separate universe, much like Robert Pattinson's Batman is going to be a separate universe, which means the door is at least still open for Henry Cavill to continue to be Superman in the core DCEU. I'm not saying they're going to do that, but I'm saying I believe the door is still open for it. So I would probably say I would still – maybe I wouldn't take over 50%, but I'll I'll take the over 40%. Again, I'm not making a prediction. I'm just saying I believe the opportunity is still there, and I think they can. As far as discovering taking over, it gives absolutely no influence over it right now because that's still a couple of years away. And once they do, it will all depend on who they make the head of Warner Media. And, hey, maybe – Henry Cavill's manager becomes the new head of Warner Media. And if that happens, guess what? We're going to get a Henry Cavill, you know, Man of Steel, too. So I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But it is something we'll keep our eyes on, man. It's definitely something we'll have to keep our eyes on. All right. Next up, uh, we've got Ryan Loner who writes, So, F9 introduces a main character's close relative out of absolutely nowhere, brings someone back from the dead with barely any explanation, devolves into nonsense science and physics even more than usual. Damn it, who let J.J. Abrams write one of these? Oh, believe me, J.J. Abrams is like, uh, he's he's Quentin Tarantino. J.J. Abrams is Quentin Tarantino compared to what we get in Fast 9. And by the way, yes, I'm just going to say this. The Return of Han, which you guys know, is what Robert Meyer Burnett has been looking forward to more than anything else in movies, is the return of Han. There was absolutely no actual explanation given to his return. They try to do an explanation, and I turn around, I'm like, what the hell did that mean? And it's like, I have no effing idea what that was supposed to be. I have no so they kind of show something, but it's like they actually didn't actually explain anything. So it's like, okay, I guess Han's back because reasons I guess I know they so botched the return of Han it was uh anyway that, again Fast 9 awful just absolutely drivelish awful and I say that as a massive fan of Vin Vin Diesel and as a big fan of the Fast and Furious franchise at least four through eight uh, I was very very disappointed and let down by this movie anyway that's just me okay Juliana M Hernandez writes John I've been watching you, uh, your show since AMC Movie Talk. Big fan. Thank you so much, Julianne. I appreciate that. Do you believe there could be a, uh, a Cal Kestis show for the character on Disney Plus, uh, or a feature in one of the shows? I would love to see Cameron Monaghan play the character live. I listen when you ask. Could there could there be? When whenever you ask a question that involves the phrase "could." The answer is always yes. It could happen. Will it happen? Don't know. Now listen, going into the Mandalorian season two finale, remember I and a lot of other people thought there was a chance that the Jedi that shows up at the end of Mandalorian, this is before we saw the final episode, but there were a lot of us who thought there was a chance Cal could have been the Jedi, maybe, that shows up and saves baby Yoda. Now, of course, we also said it could be Luke Skywalker because Luke Skywalker made sense. But we also said that Cal was one of those possibilities. For those of you who don't know, Cal is the, the main uh, a protagonist character in the Jedi Fallen Order uh, game. Anyway, so could they? Well, they could. I don't know that I'm expecting it, though. Now, then again, the game was very big and very popular and was a huge success for them, so we'll see where it goes. I, I So I'm not going to predict that they will, but could they? It's absolutely feasible. When you look at the story of Fallen Order, it is feasible that Cal could be there in that universe somewhere. They made already made him look exactly like the actor portraying him, so you could bring in the actor to do it. It's possible. Uh, again, I wouldn't hold my breath. I wouldn't hold my breath, Juliana. But it's possible. All right, next up. Uh, We've got, and last question of the day, comes to us from Suthius, who writes, You know what, guys? I really wish shows like Invincible and maybe even Jupiter's Legacy were week-by-week shows. Uh, Could you imagine all the fun we could have had speculating and theorizing? I personally can't wait for weekly local uh, Loki spoiler discussions. Well, Invincible was week-to-week, at least where I live. Amazon released that week to week. Jupiter's Legacy was not. Um, The problem with Jupiter's Legacy, of course, and it's all subjective, this is only my opinion, uh, Jupiter's Legacy wasn't very good. I mean, that was the problem with that. But yes, I am very excited about Loki starting back up again, us being able to do our weekly Loki recap shows, and of course, our pregame shows for Loki. Uh, I'm very, very excited about that. By the way, the Spectrum Snacker, I like that name, sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Spectrum uh, Snacker. I appreciate that, man. Um, Yeah, so I, I am very, very excited for it. Uh, I'm always looking I, – listen, I have so much fun doing those pregame shows and post-spoiler reviews that I'm constantly looking at what other shows coming up can we do that for because it just – it gets me more invested in the shows. It makes me look forward to the, to the new episodes more and more, and it's only possible because of the weekly releases. It just makes it better. It just makes it better. So I don't know. And if you guys have any recommendations – for shows that maybe we should look at doing week to week pre game and post spoiler discussions. Let me know. Let me know if there's any that you guys think of that we should do that for, but I'm very much looking forward to Loki getting going on that. All right, guys, that will do it for today's installment of the John Campion show for people like, uh, that was sootheist. So was people like Martin Bailey, Ryan G, uh, your mama's llama, BK, Dan, don't worry. I'm going to do a companion video a little bit later today. Not a very long one. Cause there's not too many left, but I will do a companion video later tonight and we will get all caught up on all the questions that have been sent in so far. And then we will start up again for tomorrow's show. So that will do it for now, guys. Hey, listen. Thank you to Robert Meyer Burnett for being here. Special thank you to all of you guys for taking time out of your day to hang out with here uh, with all of us. And a very special thank you to all of you guys who sent in those live comments and questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, by doing so, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us who are involved with this channel, thank you guys very, very much for your support okay guys remember to do the four main things stay smart stay safe take care of yourselves and please take care of the people around you that'll do it for me for now guys my name's john campia and until next time my friends bye bye